Martin. No, I'm going to ask you. Why am I so fly? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing, Martin? How you doing? I'm a bitch. You knew this was going to happen, Martin. <laughs> How you doing? I'm going to launch a war on you, you son of a bitch. Launch a, what, what, what is your cast? in history What's where your... it's ever been launched because somebody asked somebody how they're doing. Wow. Quite the aggressor you are. <laughs> well, I mean, I look around my office right now and I've got a, uh, I've got a Soviet Union hat in got, my closet. Got little... I've got Dostoevsky on my printer and I've got a picture of St. Petersburg. Um, so, yeah, I, I can understand. This. I can understand why you have almost all that stuff except the picture of St. Petersburg. Oh, it was a Christmas gift from my sister-in-law. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's nice, man. It's uh, I'm not familiar with the geography of St. Petersburg, but it has the uh, it's not it's not a uh, it's not a photograph. It's a painting. And I think it's that famous bridge. I don't even know what the bridge is called, even though I probably read it in Crime and Punishment, but... Well, let's find it's out. It's beautiful. Saint. Look at that bridge. What is that bridge? bridge? And you know them Russian buildings that look like they got onions coming up from the top? Of course. <laughs> there's there's a lot of bridges in St. Petersburg. Um, as, as all the Russian people say, Fuck you, you American onions. I'll throw onion up your ass. Is that what is that what Russians actually say? I don't think I've heard a Russian I, I ever don't say know. that. <laughs> I don't think I've heard a single fucking Russian ever say that to me or anyone. <laughs> I think you made that up. I don't, I, say, I don't think they like me calling the building the top of some of their buildings look like onions. Maybe it's Palace Bridge is what you're thinking of. I don't know. Palace Bridge kind of has it looks more modern. Is it next to this building that looks like it has onions coming out of the top? Uh, let me see. Mm, I don't see. No, no. Oh, Palace Bridge is not that. Is it? You know, I, I'll make a confession, man. I like Russia. I like Russian history and Russian literature. There is no greater literature in this world in the 19th century than Russian literature. I agree. You can't beat it. You're not going to you get any disagreement from shit. me. There's, American literature. If you're gonna Get be, out of here. if you're gonna be a Russophile, there's really no better reason to be Russophile than that. Is it the yeah. is it the Blue Bridge? Looks like uh, a, I don't know because uh, it is near what looks like a building that you described, and it's um, like a very small little blue bridge. People are just walking. Oh around. wait, a minute. you you can. I sent a picture to you and our buddy. Oh, you sent a picture? Did you? Yeah, yeah. Go to our, uh, with our buddy from Morocco. Hold on. It's up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, oh. I was trying to tell y'all. Oh, I was yeah. trying to tell y'all. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a cute little bridge. Um, yeah. I don't know if this is the same bridge or not. Because I don't, this is not the same building I see in this picture. It's just, I don't know. That's a nice little painting, though. Oh, yeah. And guess what? My sister-in-law, mm -hmm. the way I love Russia, she loves Germany. 
So, of course, she's being accused of being a Nazi, even though obviously she's not a Nazi. Jesus. <laughs> I was gonna... She just likes German language and German history. You can like that stuff without being a freaking Nazi. Just like I like Russia without, I hate Putin. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is very true. I was going to make a quick little Nazi joke, but you know what? Yeah, you intercepted me, so I'm not going to. <laughs> One could say you, like, blitzed me to it. You know, I just couldn't, yes. couldn't keep up. I got a nasty blitz. So if all of our little hints have not been uh, <laughs> obvious enough, what we're probably going to talk about today uh, is related to recent events. Um, yes. Do you want to guess what we're going to talk about today, dear audience? We're um, going to talk about 19th century Russian literature and why The Brothers Karamazov is one of the best books in the history of literature. I think that and sounds, War and Peace. I think that sounds swell. The only, the last Russian literature I've probably ever read was Chekhov, and it was The Student. It's literally the shortest, literally the only thing I read by Chekhov is like the shortest thing ever written by Chekhov. And it was a recommend, it was the recommendation of uh, Cornell West, Dr. Cornell West. Yeah, oh yeah. Because he'll, he'll tell anybody, if you give him the chance, you know, to sit back in your chair, sip some cognac and read some Chekhov. That's how that guy likes to vibe in his spare time. Man, I'll take any of them Russian dudes, man. Woo, I'll take them all at the same time, man. Woo! How how will you take them all? And in what context will you take them all? You know, reading. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Oh, dude, and in the 19th century too, Russian revolutionaries? Oh, man, you think we got like... Pete leftists now here in the U.S. and around the world, mm-hmm. they can't compete with the freaking revolution with the leftists in 19th century Russia, especially the latter part of the century. Oh my gosh! Yeah, even bo- before you had guys like Vladimir Lenin, you had like political nihilists like uh, Nechayev making oh. what some commentators would call a non-binary fuss. Um, <laughs> against the czarist state. Yeah. And, uh, man, there's this great book that was recommended to me by a professor because I'm like, yeah, I love 19th century Russia. And they're like, you need to read the book called Young Russia. Young Russia? The Genesis. Yeah, The Genesis of Russian Radicalism in the 1860s by Abbott Gleason. Woo. I mean, it goes into depth about everything, about the revolutionaries in the 1860s and oh it was great read the genesis of russian radicalism let's take a look at that i'm looking at amazon right now in fact yeah i am too although i want to get this from someplace other than amazon mm-hmm. i mean interesting there's not a whole lot of yeah the, amazon barely has shit to say about this what the fuck i think it's out of print actually seriously I mean, they're selling it for yeah. cheap. They're selling it for dirt cheap on here. Huh? Yeah, you can get like a paperback for five dollars, and you can get the hardcover for just a little over six. I just wonder where my copy went, man. You've seen my book collection. Yeah, yeah, you have a lot of old it, porn. And you've also seen this one particular girl and uh, impressed by my book collection. She she <laughs> really did. She really yeah. was curious how big your book collection was. Oh, yeah, that's it, baby. It fits about two shelves. You understand what I'm saying? I don't need more than two. I need three. I need four. I need as many shelves, baby, as you can 
I told her that, you know what she said? She said, oh man, you are such a good lover, man. You know what I'm saying? Oh. I said, baby, you know who, what I'm saying? Who are you uh, channeling here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't... That was a very poor imitation of Dusty Rhodes. No shit. <laughs> like, I'm like, there's no way this can be Clarence Thomas. <laughs> Who could this be? Clarence Todd, the Supreme Court Justice? No, not that guy. Um, fuck. <laughs> I never heard him speak, actually. <laughs> not, Clarence, not Clarence Thomas, but uh, fuck. The other guy. You know, I'm stroking. That song? Oh, oh, oh. Clarence, uh... Yeah, who, hold on. Let me put that in the goo. Oh, my gosh. Clarence Carter. Clarence Carter. Clarence Carter. <laughs> I can imagine fucking the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thompson. Clarence Thomas. <laughs> Singing the phone while he's stroking. Oh, we got to play for the people. You understand? <laughs> we're, we're trying to be serious. Uh, we're trying. <laughs> we got to distract people. You know what I'm saying? I guess, you know, what can you do in times like this but bring levity where you can? We gotta distract him with this kind of music. Are you... Okay, I'll, I will do it. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know. Are you pulling it up on your phone? They're not... They're gonna, hold on. I'll show you how it's really done. Oh, all right. <laughs> you saw Dusty... Hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, go ahead, do what you gotta do. Mm -hmm. But everybody out there who knows what these two people look like and sound like Clarence Thomas and Dusty Rhodes, and you get Clarence Carter. <laughs> I guess. I'm stroking, but I'm stroking. Yeah, you don't see him, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because Clar Clarence Carter never had the list. Um. <laughs> Holy shit, my face is already hurt. Mo. What time of day? What time of day? Yes. What time of day do you make love? Just before breakfast. Have you ever made love while you watch the late late show? Well, let me ask you this. Oh my god. Why am I playing this still? On a couch! I'm gonna, we gotta distract that before we get to the serious geopolitical stuff. Absolutely. She got a car. It's almost done. Oh, wait. You know, this reminds me of our mutual uh, buddy here. I, I think uh, I know who you're referring to. Oh, man. <laughs> That's enough stroking. Thank you, Clarence Carter. And Clarence Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Conservative Supreme Court Justice. Okay, if you're a conservative Supreme Court Justice, there's no way you're stroking. <laughs> I have a feeling... Oh, apparently he was doing that with Anita Hill. Oh, really? Well, I mean, she's the one. Didn't she, like, file sexual harassment charges against him? I don't know. Second, that, uh, that, that's not stroking. Oh, no. If, if you're sexually harassing people, you're not stroking. Let's be real. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, man. That's not cool. Yeah. Comparing sexual harassment to stroking is like comparing a military operation to an invasion. 
Yes. So let's get to it. Mm-hmm. All right. See, we were able to build like a very loose tangential uh, connection between <laughs> the bullshit we just talked about and what we Shit. will talk about today. Hey, I don't think Putin is stroking his ego. Man, can you imagine Putin right now? That dude is probably sleeping on the couch in the Kremlin right now. Well, I heard he doesn't even like go to the Kremlin as much. I heard he, I heard he's getting more erratic. But, but I don't know what to trust. I mean, what, do we, can we really know anything definitively, definitively right now? Unless you're on the ground, <laughs> experiencing yeah. it firsthand, probably not. <sighs> but whether he's married now or as a mistress, given the way things are, that dude is sleeping on a couch in some building. He better have a mistress, or he's not a world leader. What kind of what kind of world leader wouldn't have a mistress? What kind of autocrat are you if you don't have a mistress? For I, I, yes, yeah. I, sorry, I shouldn't say world leader. I should say like autocrat. There you go. Because you know I don't condone adultery. Yeah. But if you're morally bankrupt to be an autocrat, I sure you don't. I'm sure you got a wifey girlfriend and mistress. Uh, except him. I don't know. This whole thing is very small dick energy, if you ask me. But, mm. but we're not here to talk about dicks or dick sizes. We're here to talk about Russia. We're here to talk about Ukraine. We're here to talk about information. We're here to talk about updates and the big situation. Mm-hmm. Damn! Did I just make a rhyme? Holy shit! <laughs> I just rhymed. Without even trying. Hmm. Happy for myself. So. I teach you how to flow with the codeine rap. <laughs> hey, yo, gotta give my blow. Yeah, so. one of the things that came about with the, uh, with me, so I wrote an outline before we started. Mm-hmm. Ain't you fancy. Um, well, I was just thinking about because I'm actually teaching. You know, I'm a teacher. I'm actually te- teaching this in one of my courses. Um, so one of the big things about teaching this is just finding reliable information like what is happening how do we find what is happening because i'm sure you've seen fake information on both sides like the ghost of kiev mm-hmm. that turned out to be a popcorn fart oh yeah unfortunately i know but can we make it spiritually real though <laughs> can we just make it up and just kind of will it into reality what is this religious mumbo jumbo over here Maybe. Maybe if we, like, all collectively believe in the ghost of Kiev, we can create him for real. And he will appear in this material plane as an avatar of war, shooting down Russian oh, fighters. <laughs> Literally, so like a Ukrainian reincarnation of the war god Guan Yu. Hell yeah, man. His fighter jet is his red hair. Hell yeah, it'd be like World War One, where the fighter pilots in World War One were like the knights of the, the legends. They were like the knights of King Arthur's court, man. The, the fu- stories are legendary. The fucking Red Baron. <laughs> well, Eddie Rick, Rick Rickenbacker, Rickenbacker, Eddie Rickenbacker too of the man. I mean, whew. hell yeah, awesome time, man. It's such a. It wasn't an awesome time. Did I say awesome times? Gosh, horrible, horrible. But yeah. it was a time of mythology, and at the time you didn't really know what was going on. So that's what I mean by awesome. I meant like fantastical, as in it's hard to believe. So that's one thing that I'm dealing with now. Like, how the hell do I know what's going on? So one of the things I've been doing 
is um, I've been very careful about what news sources I listen to. I've been just watching live feeds of NBC News, ABC News, CBS News. I've also been going back and forth to CNN.com and FoxNews.com to see what they're focusing on. Because um, one of the things I noticed that Fox News is focusing on is um, they seem to be more critical of Biden. Uh, duh. Mm-hmm. Um, but, there's some, but it's weird because I think both of them, both CNN and Fox News, they seem to both agree um, on the sanctions and they seem to both agree that Putin is the aggressor here, that he's the one who's responsible for all this. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to, and I'm also going getting on YouTube sites um, like The Hill. The mm. Hill is pretty, uh, the, I find The Hill to be balanced somewhat. Um, I, I also go to a more leftist site, uh, Majority Report with Sam Cedar, mm-hmm. Time Magazine. So I'm trying to use different sources here because we don't want to be accused of, you know, believing one source. Holding one source up like it's some golden turd, you know what I'm saying? Believing prop, you know, consuming propaganda, and you know, having either a Western's, you know, centric narrative or what have you. Yes. Yeah, and all uh, oh, actually, uh, um, Sam Cedar actually brought uh, attention to this uh, today in one of his uh, live streams when he talked when he actually played some reporters when this conflict between Russia and Ukraine broke out. Some of these reporters were talking about um, it's a more civilized nation than, say, like Afghanistan or something. I'm like, whoa. What the fuck? No. Oh, well, let me show you. Let me show it for our audience. Um, And and also, too, it really brought home to me, like, one of the things, too, I'm studying with my class in, in this class as well is what's Afghanistan like today? And, man, the situation in Afghanistan is just... It's disturbing. It's nightmarish, dude. Like, it's a legit humanitarian crisis right now. Yeah. Like, people are selling their children to... Buy food. Yeah, to buy food. And what I mean by selling children is, like, the way way from what I've been reading about it in Afghanistan is they're selling children to future suitors. So Uh. it's sort of like, yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of like... This fucking nasty old guy, well, I wouldn't even say old, like a 20-year-old guy sees a fucking seven-year-old girl and is like, yeah, I'm going to marry her someday. Can I, can I buy her from you? And I guess it's like it's a, you're buying a, a marriage in the future. So, man, I can't even put it around it. But what I, well, let me link this story to you. Um, and I don't, I don't think they would mind if we play this. Um I already played Clarence Carter. (laughs) Okay. Um, Let's see here. So Media's Insidious. Okay. Yeah. No, go ahead. So this is from the Majority Report with Sam Cedar. Media's Insidious Racism Exposed in Ukrainian Crisis. So I'm going to play this here video. Well, not the whole thing, but just uh, I'll show you. There's a lot. Which parts? What they're going to show you are some examples of some reporters reporting on this. And you can see that there's this white supremacy kind of in the back of their mind. It's not that these people are like openly racist, these reporters who who they quote here, but it's more like there's this whole thing where since this is a European conflict, it seems to be more important because it's quote unquote white mm-hmm. people. 
Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm gonna play the video right now. A lot of reasons why we'll point to as to why what's happening oh, okay. with Russia's yeah. invasion of Ukraine could resonate. I also have this sped up by like two times so. in a different way than in other conflicts, okay. because Europe, the site of the last two world wars, the only two and world I can't wars here, here too. Um, so Russia, let me know when they stop. Superpower, or, arguably, yeah. you know, at least militarily, still one of the superpowers, I guess. Talking about um, Russia right and now. And there's a lot of you know sort of uh, uh, and, and nuclear weapons. I mean, and and so nuclear there's a lot of reasons why this conflict would get more attention than, say, the Saudis and our involvement in, in that uh, assault oh, yeah, on Yemen. Yeah, the comments, yeah. too, Which, are great. You know, oh. he's going to end up killing and has killed. Mention, like, you know, the Saudis, what they're Ukraine. doing but, in uh, to Yemen. People. In Afghanistan, yeah. Joe Biden just, uh, you know, taking that money, and there's no guarantee that that $7 billion it had uh, it Mentioning allowed Afghanistan. to go back to the Taliban would alleviate any or all of the suffering in Afghanistan, although you could imagine it would alleviate some. There are millions of people in Afghanistan who are looking at millions potential of people starvation in right, Afghanistan. Now, right now. And so there's no, you know, it's, it, these are apples and oranges things, and it's not to take away from what's going on in Ukraine. But mm -hmm. um, it's just something to be aware of, and I think we're going to talk about this more. I'm not going trying forward. to take anything away from Ukraine, but it's been trying to there's so much more attention. Trying to be aware of it. Again, I don't think it's all the reason. I don't think it's yeah. maybe, maybe not even the majority. And I'll explain too things. why why but this it's is because, uh, um, of who this is a very important conflict. We all should care about the Ukraine-Russia thing. CBS News foreign correspondent. Charlie Delgado, who has apologized for this, but nonetheless, it's revealing. It's not. This okay. is not about Charles Delgado. He's getting into this reporter. It's really in many respects about okay. all of us. But here it is. Now with the Russians marching in, it's changed CBS uh, News. entirely. Uh, tens of thousands of people tried to uh, flee the city. There will be many more. People are hiding out in bomb shelters. But this isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively oh. European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that Oh, he immediately backtracked and said European. All right, let's just be clear. Yeah, here. I mean, I part of the reason why Iraq had uh, conflict for decades was because we, we, we started bombing and invading them at one point. Now, of course, there was also the yeah. Iran war prior to that and the, the war with Kuwait you know, prior to that. But the United States like, deliberately targeted Iraq's water purification and infrastructure systems and knowing it would spread disease yeah. and so you know that might have contributed to the lack of civilization that he's referencing right. it's, it's about the yeah. color of people's skin let's be real yeah and, and, um, i mean you know, like the u.s and its allies targeting things like war you know iraqi water of, uh, supplies uh, and shit like that ongoing conflict since 2014 i mean so but yes it is it is about it is about race it is about um you know uh about race. notion of, of of economic development i guess notions uh, of economic and, development you know, so these are people who look like us yeah, so white supremacy like ours, european and american <laughs> oh, another the example. These are not refugees from Syria. These are refugees from uh, neighboring Ukraine. And that, is, quite frankly, is part of it. These are um, Christians, so whites. They're, um, they're very similar to people. Well, the next one's pretty Whoa. Funny. And look, there this is an aspect of human nature where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, my wears clothes just like it. that. And has that same, whatever it is, uh, you know, uh, the Jatty Cathy doll or whatever. She's like, you know, wow, so that one, it more. they um, look like us kind of thing. It is pretty stunning when you contemplate it. And again, there are a lot of other factors associated with this. There's nukes involved in this. There's our long-time rival from the Cold War. But when you when you look at it just in terms of like sheer human misery, sheer you're, you're human not, misery, we're not at the level of where we are in Yemen or in Afghanistan or in Iraq or in Syria. I could keep going on in Libya. Yeah, like this, right. this is an example of it. So he kind of did say that you know if you're talking about like the scale of like human misery in these places, right? Whether it's like Iraq yeah. or Yemen and Afghanistan, Ukraine is nothing like that, right? It's still a functioning, materially speaking, functioning country. Right, yeah, and people, people in, democracy. Yeah, people in Ukraine are not having to like sell their kidneys to feed mm. their families and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, you know. And then again, though, like Ukraine is also not a country that has been bombed to the fucking Stone Age. Not, yet, not yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. Of course, as of this recording, as of this recording, Ukraine has not been bombed into the Stone Age. It has been bombed, or not, but not to the Stone Age. So yeah, hopefully it doesn't get that far. 
But yeah, he is pointing, he's making a very good case here, how there is a very implicit bias, and sometimes, depending on the source, explicit bias about the uh, yeah. the media, you know, um, especially towards, you know, let's face it, what we call white issues. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say, well, I say like European Euro- slash American. Yeah, that would be more, I think that'd be more accurate because, you know, whiteness and like... Mm-hmm. I think that's harder to really apply, right? I mean, generally speaking, you know, like we in countries like the United States and, you know, UK or whatever, we would associate Ukrainians as a quote-unquote white country. And when we're doing that, isn't that really just whiteness talking? That's kind of like a filter that the institution of whiteness hoists on you. It conditions you to think like that. If, you know, you're racialized as white. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, did, whiteness is a factor. Did they get to the part in the video where that guy said, fuck off? Oh, I, I stopped playing around the six-minute mark. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, there's a video where some guy, um, I think some some guy who's not white, um, was playing, was playing a, he was recording something on his screen. Oh. Al Jazeera. Okay. And at the end of the, at the end of it, he said, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's at the uh, it's at the six minute mark and fifteen. The video oh. starts at the six minute mark and fourteen. Six okay. minute fourteen seconds. Sorry. Okay, so I'm gonna play that part real quick. <laughs> I'm gonna slow this down, of course, back to its normal speed for the audience' sake. I know you all love Sam Cedar, and so do I. It's playing now. Here's Al Jazeera's Peter Dobby. Peter Dobby from Al Jazeera. Population. As you're talking to us, Matthew, we're playing in the latest pictures of some of the refugees trying to get on trains or trying to get out of Ukraine. And, and what's compelling is just looking at them, the way they're dressed. These are prosperous, I'm looking to use the expression, these are prosperous middle class people. These are not obviously refugees trying to get away from areas in the Middle East that are still in a big state of war. These are not people trying to get away from areas in North Africa. They look like any European family that you would European families. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) That was somebody else who was watching. (laughs) Um, But the sentiment... The immediate fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a that's a pretty cool part. I just wanted to hear that. Um, yeah, so that one of the things that I've been struggling with too is just where do you get some reliable information? And to be honest, um, unless at this point in the conflict, unless we are actually like on the ground, primary source there, unless we're like government, unless we're like from the government getting um, reliable intelligence from our government, you know, as government officials do, mm-hmm. we honestly don't know 100% what's going on. Right. Honestly, the one non, some of the non-news sources that I have been kind of relying on for information about yeah. this have, are either kind of like in Europe, in different parts. Ooh, okay. Like one guy who I've kind of follow, um, have you heard of a YouTuber by the name of Adam something? That, hold on, let me look. Uh, no, let me look him up here. Wait, oh, Adam something. You put in Adam and something pops up. Wow, this guy's popular. Yeah, he does a lot of really great videos. But lately, I mean, most of his content prior to this war was about um, engineering-related stuff. And more specifically, pointing out like why a lot of Tesla projects and Elon Musk ideas 
are fucking stupid and just okay. really waste of time and yes. offering better solutions. But lately, he's actually been kind of like going in war coverage mode. So he is a Hungarian engineer. I okay. don't know which country he lives in. I th he's oh he's currently in Czechia. Okay, so he's a hung Good. Hungarian engineer living in Czechia. And he's been very meticulous about the sources that he posts and all that. So he's been pretty great at sussing out, you know, reliable sources here and there. Um, another one, actually, he also is a YouTuber. Again, he's not a fucking... Uh, let me see. His name, his YouTube channel is called Warlocracy. And I'll show you that. But you can also find him on Twitter. So what? War lock? I I'll show you here. There you go. Okay. Now what this Adam something guy? No, no, no. This other guy I just showed you. Oh, oh. So we got a new guy. Sorry. <laughs> so this right. guy, um, YouTube channel's name Warlockracy. I will also like share his Twitter with you real quick because he's been like covering a lot on that. But you can also find information that he's posted about the war in his community tab on YouTube. So this guy, he's not like a journalist. This dude makes like narrative reviews about video games and shit. Um, he's a former power lifter, um, lived in the EU, Russia and Ooh, Belarus. Okay. He's currently in Russia right now. I think he says he lives in Moscow and um, he's been, you know, visiting protests and making videos. Um, if you, did right. I, oh shit, I forgot to link you to this man's Twitter. <laughs> Weightlifter, animal rights activist, I like this, a video gamer, I like this guy, oh hell yeah. Like, I feel I'm like, in love, baby. Yeah, sometimes the best sources you can get are people who are in the vicinity, or at least close to yeah. the vicinity. So, he is currently living in Moscow, um, and some of his videos are around protests that are occurring across Moscow. Um, he's re he's yes. received some intimidation, actually. Um, he posted that a guy sent him a message or a tweet. Yeah, someone on Twitter uh, took a picture of his front door and sent it to him. And of course, it's in Russian, so I can't fucking read it, but it's meant to be an intimidation tactic. Um, yeah, so... Well, so... Speaking of these, like, protests in Russia, too, that's one thing in which I think can also stop this war, too, is if... Let's take it back to... Well, I don't know if this will be... Let's take it back to 1905, mm -hmm. when the Russians protested, and they got the Duma as a result. You remember during 1905, it was called Bloody Sunday, if I believe? Wasn't Let's that see. the coron... No, was that the... No, it was not the coronation of Tsar Nicholas. That was a different incident. Um, I know what you're talking it, about, though. It was was like it, a, I think, too, wasn't this uh, to protest the Russo-Japanese War in 1905? From the, I don't know, though. Hold on. I'm not entirely sure, but I know, I think... But I do know... The, wasn't the Duma, the Russian parliament, established after this? So, yeah, Blundy Sunday, I'm looking up right now. 1905 in St. Petersburg when unarmed demonstrators led by Father Gregory Gapon were fired upon by soldiers of the Imperial Guard as they marched towards the Winter Palace to present a petition to Tsar Nicholas of Russia. 
Bloody Sunday caused grave consequences for the Tsarist autocracy governing yes. Imperial Russia. The yes. Yes. The events in St. Petersburg provoked public outrage and a series of massive strikes that spread quickly to the industrial centers of the yes. Russian Empire. The massacre is considered to be the start of the active phase of the revolution of 1905. Yes. Yeah. In addition to the 1905 revolution, historians such as Lionel Cochin and his book, Russia and Revolution, 1890-1918, view the events of Bloody Sunday to be one of the key events which led to the Russian Revolution of 1917. So, so if... I don't know if like the majority of Russians are against the war, but I, it seems like it. I don't know, or I don't, I don't know. I know. Well, a, I don't a, know. I know a lot of them fucking are. That's for yeah. Sure. Even that's ones... why that's why people are saying Putin's war, not Russian, because we don't want to. We don't want to bemoan. We don't want to invade the Russian people. Yeah, and well, not only that too. Like there are Russian supporters of Vladimir Putin who are against the war itself too. You know, mm. Russians, like any other people, are not a fucking hive mind. Um, also, to yeah. answer your earlier question, yeah, it did... It, like, Establish a Duma. Yeah, Tsar okay. was, attempted to appease the people of a Duma. However, the autocracy eventually resorted to brute force near the end of 1905 mm. in order to curtail the burgeoning strike movement that continued to spread. So, yep, you are right. See, I remember that from history. But, yeah, so, so I mean, there's nothing... the police whatever the hell can do if millions upon millions protest what can they do kill millions and kill millions and kill millions or maybe i'm just being having too much of a sunny outlook yeah i hope i hope that outlook is correct um to my no i mean i know over i don't know how many thousand have people have been arrested in protests and shit like that um but yeah i mean to my knowledge, no one has fucking died at a protest yet. So well, here's the thing, that. too. It, to protest right now in Putin's Russia, you got to have balls the size of King Kong. You understand what I'm saying? Ball. Because <laughs> they will put you in a prison for the rest of your life, those fucking dirty Russian government, that dirty Russian government led by Putin. Balls, just giant balls dragging around the streets of Moscow. <laughs> you elephantitis, motherfucker. Having to use wheelbarrows to carry their, carry yeah. their massive Oh, yeah, nuts. like South Park. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, man, that's just... And also, too, I think, too, um, if the rich people, the elites, stand up to Putin, what can they do? Dude, I mean... Come on, we all know the elites run the fucking governments of the world. Yeah, there's always... <laughs> if you want to use Marxist terminology, there's always a bourgeoisie. Right now, the structure and the role they play can vary from place to place, but any autocracy that relies on the foundation of an oligarchy—can you really call that an autocracy? Mm. So of the oligarchy, yeah, of the oligarchs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. I am kind of curious to see how these sanctions will play out. I mean, no matter what, yeah. I know it's going to hurt. I mean, it's already starting to hurt, like, you know, average Russian people. Um, but at the same time, because, like, I feel like no matter what Western countries do, whether it's, like, so-called targeted sanctions and or, uh, you know, just blanket sanctions or whatever, it's going to fall back 
on Russian working class people at the end of the day, too. And this war is not their fault. They didn't consent yeah. to a war. They didn't want a war. They didn't consent to Putin. <laughs> not really. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, honestly, I don't know what the right move is to make here. And you know what? That's... It's a nuclear war. <laughs> it's definitely not a nuclear fucking war, which I don't... I do not think is going to obviously come to that. Um, but, yeah. It's... Shit's fucking bonkers, yo. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've also been trying to get Putin's perspective as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I wanted to make... Well, before we move on to why is this happening, what is currently happening, um, well, I think the people out there know what what's currently happening because this can change by the time people hear this. Mm-hmm. So, so move on to why this is happening. Am I outline? Yeah. Okay. So why this is happening, what what I tried to do um, is I'm trying to get Putin's perspective, Zelensky's perspective, and Biden slash NATO's perspective on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I did to get Putin's perspective is to read his speech. And I was wanting to analyze that with you and our audience. Mm, okay, I see. Your I think that would be a great idea. Um, so I have a transcript of Putin's speech on February 24th. Mm-hmm. And his televised address to Russia on Ukraine. I got it from Bloomberg.com. And I actually copied and pasted it in, my, in the document if you don't want to go to that website. Oh, I see it right here. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So I figured we could break this down a little bit with what we both collectively know about history Mm -hmm. and I guess compare it with other situations like this. Maybe compare it with what Napoleon said or with what Hitler said, what other aggressors in world history have said as they conduct their aggressions. Hear, hear. All right. So yeah, let's break down this speech word for word. Um, yeah. And see what we can do. So, All right. Have let's it. do it. All right. Deep breaths out there, y'all. All right. So here it begins. Dear citizens of Russia, dear friends. So automatically pause. So he's talking to the citizens of Russia and friends, which I'm taking to mean allied countries or who, whom he, who, sorry, who he thinks are allies. I think he's referring to me. I feel like he's calling me friend, and I feel very warm inside when he does that. Oh, but, is that because he has his shirt off, and you're remembering when he has his shirt off? Yeah, it was kind of weird that he was shirtless when he made that speech, and he's, like, <laughs> flexing his pecs, you know, throughout the whole time. <laughs> wonder why. He was wearing bike shorts, too. You know, like, neon green oh, bike shorts. people, baby. Yeah, and he had some, it looked like Percocets on the table in front of him. Oh, you mean Percocets. Percocets. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about by Percocets, y'all, you gotta listen to the last episode because, wow. So we're talking about wait a minute, wait, yeah, hilarious. All right, Star Wars and Percocets. There so, you go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm assuming he's addressing obviously the citizens of Russia and Russian allies and so on and so forth. Um. So he's saying, today, I again consider it necessary to return to the tragic events taking place in 
Doombass, is it? Or Doombass? Donbass. Donbass. And the key issues of ensuring the security of Russia itself. So he's talking about one of the separatist regions, right, of Ukraine? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I did some digging into this a little bit, too. Um, according to Wikipedia, 17% of Ukrainians are of Russian ethnicity or nation or nationality. I don't know what the difference is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be that those areas that are separatist want to be or or they're controlled by people who want to be part of the of Russia. I mean, what do you know about that? Um, for the most part, yeah. So, you know, these breakaway republics, right? Okay. Um, they're predominantly Russian speaking, of course. Um, whether Russian nationality would be if they held citizenship, I think. Whereas, I think it's just like an ethnic or culturally Russian part of Ukraine. Excellent. So now we're going back to World War One. <laughs> mm-hmm. Remember nationalism and how nationalism was a huge cause of World War One. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And okay, so now we're back in World War One times. Ethnic nationalism, y'all, excluding people. You're not part of my people. Ah, blah blah. That bullshit. Okay, mm-hmm. back in time, baby. Yeah. So I, I mean, I should also point out that um, if we're talking about also uh, Crimea, right? So, um, oh yeah, oh yeah, interesting place. Um, one could argue that you know the Russians there are not indigenous. <laughs> um, a little bit of a history lesson. So, yeah. why you know why you got so many Russian-speaking folks in Crimea? Um, well, it's kind of a long history, and you can kind of go back to the Soviet Union, right? Oh, so. Okay. After the Russian famine of 1921, um, there was a pretty bad period of starvation across Crimea. During the Russian Civil War, right? Um, around that, yeah. Okay. So, you know, you had like more than 100,000 Crimean Tartars starve to death. And oh. tens of thousands of them flee to Turkey or Romania. This isn't including earlier, you know, the earlier period of what's called detatarization. And it was basically, it refers to different periods uh, during the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union to basically uh, ethnically cleanse the Crimea of, Mm. you know, the ethnic Crimean Tatars. So while this was happening, thousands more ended up being deported or being killed during the collectivization process between 1928 and 1929. So... During this time, too, like these policies start to contribute to this major nationwide famine, and it's go it goes all the way to like 1931 to 1933. Yeah, now we're getting into the Ukrainian, the Hala. How do you say the word Hala I'm sorry, Holodomor. Yeah, that with the where a lot of the Ukrainians starved to death. Yeah, depending on who you ask, some will say it's a genocide. And some will say it was a catastrophe that Soviet neglect or mismanagement contributed to. But essentially what I'm kind of getting to is that a lot of these people or regions that are, you know, Russian speaking today that Mm. were once part of Ukraine um, experienced 
multiple periods of ethnic cleansing to make them Russian. Mm, okay. And, I mean, this was also during the time of Stalin's purges, too. So a lot of folks, you know, statesmen and intellectuals were imprisoned and killed on some trumped-up charges. Um, so fast forward to 1944, right? Um, the entire Crimean Tatar population is basically deported to parts of Central Asia, you know, to like Uzbekistan. And this was ordered by Joseph Stalin at the time. And despite, you know, Crimean Tatars actually serving in the Red Army, you know, participating in World War II, um, that didn't really save them from deportation, unfortunately. So, I mean, there's different reasons for why this happened, too. You know, I'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying they're justified in any fucking sense, but there's motivations for these things that kind of happen, right? So, yeah. like some of the researchers that kind of tackle this particular period um, say that uh, Crimea, uh, Crimea's geopolitical position fueled, you know, the Soviet perception that Crimean Tartars were a threat because they're not Russian. So. I mean, there's also other reasons, too, but I guess, you know, the whole point is me saying that there are parts, you know, of these breakaway republics now that were not always Russian. They are now, <laughs> and I'm not saying, you know, they should be deported or they don't belong there, and I'm not I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just pointing out that those, those regions were not always Russian, even if they are primarily mm -hmm. Russian now, they weren't always that way. Yeah. But yeah, let's uh let's keep going. Alright. Yeah, and just all of that, uh the rich history all in just what, two what, three sentences? Uh so keep so to continue with the speech, he says Putin says Let me start with what I said in my address of February twenty first this year. We are talking about what causes us particular con about those fundamental threats that year after year, step by step, rudely and unceremoniously created by irresponsible politicians in the West in relation to our country. Very interesting here. Like, what's interesting about that? He says the West. Historically, so first of all, Russia has always existed in this where do I fit in with Asia or Europe, the West or the East? So it seems to me by saying, by, by, calling irresponsible politicians in the West in relation to his country, it seems to me he is seeing Russia more as part of the East, maybe. More mm. of Asia. Or, I think it's more of, like, the Russian sphere of influence, rather than just okay. the East. Because I don't really think anyone in Russia is considering themselves the East. I think they're kind of considering themselves the Russian sphere, if you will. Yeah, okay. And then, you, so you might be wondering, well, what does Putin mean by this? Well, here's what he says. He says, I mean the expansion of the NATO bloc to the east, bringing its military infrastructure closer, closer to Russian borders. It is well known that for 30 years we have persistently and patiently tried to reach an agreement with the leading NATO countries on the principles of equal and indivisible security in Europe. In response to the proposals, we constantly faced either 
cynical deception and lies or attempt to pressure and blackmail why the North Atlantic Alliance, NATO, in the meantime, despite all our protests and concerns, is steadily expanding. The military machine is moving, and I repeat, is coming closer to our borders. That is where I think Putin is correct about. I don't know what you think about it, but if you look at a map of NATO in Europe, NATO got bigger. He, <laughs> NATO got, got bigger. And it borders Russia. And it borders in three countries in NATO. Border Russia. What is it? Latvia? Estonia? Estonia Lithuania? Mo yeah. And mo I mostly Baltic states. Um, yeah, I think Sweden too. Hold on. Not, hold on. Not Sweden. I think. Um, hold on. Let me look at a map here. Are you looking uh, at NATO states? <laughs> yeah, NATO map and Google images and. Because I always get like Finland and so let's see here. It doesn't I always get like Finland and Norway. I think it's Norway. Yeah. Finland is not in NATO. No. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's Norway. Norway borders Russia, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania. Wait a minute. No, Romania. No, Romania borders uh, Ukraine and Moldova. Turkey. Turkey is a NATO member. Yeah, Turkey's close to Russia. Anyway, these countries are close to Russia. I mean, literally, some are bordering it. Now, you might be wondering, what? What's the? Why? What's that? What's? What's? Why is that bad? These countries are allowed to have U.S. military bases and U.S. soldiers in them. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Yeah. Here in the United States of America, how would we feel if Mexico had Russian bases and Russian soldiers in it? Yeah, or Canada, or yeah. Cuba, remember? Remember when Cuba yeah. was... Cuba Missile Crisis, 63. Oh, yeah. People got... People's and assholes you know, puckered. Well, and you know what the the compromise of the Cuban Missile Crisis was? Turkey would remove their... Turkey would remove the U.S. missiles, and the USSR would remove the Cuban missiles. Yeah, that's right. So, I think Putin is... I disagree with him invading Ukraine, obviously. When it comes to NATO, he has a strong point here. And he, that's why I also think China is kind of playing the fence here in this Ukraine-Russia crisis, because China is also seeing, hey, the United States is moving their influence, military influence, closer to us. Uh, yeah. <gasps> so I will, I mean, yeah, this is a re if you are Putin right now, this would be a reason to be concerned. We, yes. we can exercise some empathy for fucking Vladimir Putin, if only to just to understand more about his position, especially because given the powers that he has, he effectively <laughs> is making the decisions for all of Russia. So one thing that does come to mind, my mind, though, is a couple things. So, you know, he's referencing, I, I think he's referencing at this point, uh, 30 years ago anyway, or no, it wasn't, maybe it was 30 years ago, but it was around the collapse of the Soviet Union. One of the, uh, agreements that is constantly, you know, brought up and yeah, he actually is referencing this was, you know, NATO would promise not to expand. And if mm. I, I remember right, this was a verbal agreement from <laughs> the, uh, I think it, yeah, it was from uh, representatives of the United States. It was a uh, verbal agreement. Kind of like how Russia also reached a verbal agreement that if Ukraine got rid of its nuclear weapons, then 
there would never be an invasion. <laughs> so uh, if there's one thing that we're learning here is that you should never make, uh, you should never ex expect to conduct international relations or hold anyone to an obligation on the international stage unless you get something in writing. Um, yeah, but then again, I would never ever give up my nuclear weapons. <laughs> well, Ukraine did. That's why Ukraine no longer is a nuclear yeah. power. So that's yeah. Said, after the fall of the Soviet Union and and Ukraine became independent, yeah. Yeah. So with that said, because we have mentioned, you know, that NATO has grown, I guess the question mm -hmm. that we need to ask ourselves is why is that? Why have oh. these countries decided to join NATO? Because NATO cannot really force a country to join it. Its purpose, and its purpose, I mean, it's done, let's be real, NATO has done some evil shit, right? Its purpose, at least on paper, is that of a defensive military alliance. So... It was created, well, it was created during the Cold War. Precisely. To counter the USSR. I mean, it's outdated once the USSR fell. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. why would these countries... You know, like Estonia and Latvia, join NATO. What would be their Fear motivations? <laughs> Why would they be afraid of Russia, though? I guess they're afraid that Russia would invade them, right? Right. <laughs> kind of the obvious answer there. So, uh, no. second, I when it comes to like these countries, I mean, I guess on the one hand, you could say that if you're in Putin's Oxfords or whatever the fuck he wears to work every day, you could expect or want NATO to decline their membership. But on the other hand, though, if these countries technically meet NATO's eligibility, these are sovereign states, mind you, if they meet the eligibility requirements and they receive a unanimous vote to join NATO, then... Who's to stop them? I'm not saying NATO is good or evil. Oh, yeah. I'm saying oh, yeah. it there is a purpose. <laughs> it, there is a purpose. And if you are these like former, you know, Warsaw Pact countries, you know, like Lithuania or what have yeah. you, um, and you don't want to be invaded by Russia, which Russia has a long history of aggression towards its neighbors, yeah, mm -hmm. you're going to probably want to fucking try to join NATO. Unless you're already kind of like a Russian ally like Belarus, right? Like Belarus really doesn't have any incentive or reason to join NATO because they're on such great terms anyway. Why would they fucking bother? Hmm. Yeah, they are like allies to Russia. So hmm. there would be no point in them joining. So they have no incentive to join. So yeah, in terms of expansion, the expansion that's happened is kind of because these countries wanted to join NATO and they are sovereign countries that get to make their own decisions, whether it's in Russia's best interest or not. And so, um, and also one of the key thing about NATO too is that if any member country is attacked, invaded, whatever, the other countries have to come to their aid. That's also reminding me of World War I too, because one uh, another cause of World War I was alliances. Yeah, very complicated alliance structures. Yeah. Like, you know, the UK is allied with Russia 
and Russia is allied with Austria-Hungary or some shit. No, 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 no. Oh, uh, I forget my alliance. I forget my Entente. Yeah. And, uh, my... And, yeah. In World War One, it was Germany was allied with Austria-Hungary. Oh, that's right. And then Russia was allied with Britain mm-hmm. and France. So France, Great Britain, Russia on one side, and then Germany and Austria-Hungary. So what happened is the uh, Franz Ferdinand, the future leader of Austria-Hungary, was assassinated by terrorists who, Serbian terrorists, who wanted a separate, um, no, Serbia was their own country. Oh, okay. They were assassinated by terrorists based on a national, uh, nationalism, right? We mm-hmm. want our own country, want freedom, or we want more land for our country, etc. Yeah. And so Austria-Hungary blamed the country of Serbia, invaded Serbia, Germany. Hey, we're going to fight with our allies. Russia said, Russia said, no, you're not invading Serbia because we got Serbia's back. Germany said, no, we got Austria-Hungary's back. So Germany attacks Russia. <laughs> Russia attacks Austria-Hungary. France attacks Germany, Great Britain gets involved after Germany invades Belgium, alliances. Very, very, very conducive to a world war. Yeah. NATO is a huge alliance. One big alliance. Whereas Russia doesn't really have that many in terms of allies. I mean, I'm sure there's like this, There, Russia has its own kind of like complicated network of allies here and there. Um, whether they're kind of formally sworn to defend Russia in case of invasion, you know, like a NATO country kind of is. I don't know. But yeah, alliances can be uh, the unintentional causes of wars rather than deterrence for wars. Yeah, because it's sort of like, well, damn, I got to have your back because I promised. Anyway, yeah, um, I got a little mixed up there too uh, with Serbia and Austria-Hungary. The terrorist group was Serbian, but it was from a movement known as Young Bosnia. So I guess they wanted their own land in the land that was then in the country that was then known as Austria Hungary, mm-hmm. because um, there were the Bosnia and Herzegovina were recently annexed by Austria Hungary, and so the Serbian Black Hand intelligence organization, terrorist group, they did not want Austria Hungary to exert that much control. So. Mm-hmm. So this whole nationalism thing, I'm I'm this ethnicity, I'm this ethnicity, I'm this ethnicity. I don't like that you're ruling my nationalism. And then you got alliances. I can see all of this in this Ukraine-Russia conflict. There's some interesting parallels to make there. Yeah. Do you want to keep reading from his, uh, his speech here? Because you left off at, um, let's see. The military machine is moving, and I repeat, it's coming close to our borders. So it's the following paragraph. Yeah, so he says, why is this all happening? Where does this impudent, sorry, I was about to say imprudent. Where does this impudent manner of speaking from the position of one's own exclusivity, infallibility, and permissiveness come from? Where does this disdainful attitude towards our interest and our absolutely legitimate demand come from? The answer is clear. Everything is clear and obvious. The Soviet Union in the late 80s of the last century weakened and then completely collapsed. The whole course of events that took place then is a good lesson for us today as well. 
it convincingly showed that the paralysis of power and will is the first step toward complete degradation and oblivion. As soon as we lost confidence in ourselves for some time, and that's it, the balance of power in the world turned out to be disturbed. So I guess he's talking about, he's blaming the Soviet Union's downfall to the, quote, paralysis of power and will, unquote. That sounds, that's a weird statement, but yeah. the very first thing that kind of comes to my mind is, and this is not a one-for-one one comparison, keep in mind that, you remember when like Hitler was basically talking about how the Germans had been victimized? They were a victimized people? I do, and I actually, I, I gotta be careful how I say this. Yeah. When it comes to the Treaty of Versailles and what it did to Germany. They were, actually. They were fucked. The, the Germans were uh, screwed, yes. Yeah, like the Treaty of Versailles was drafted in a way to deliberately keep yes. Germany like permanently yeah. subjugated and impoverished and broken. Yeah, and one of Hitler's biggest... Um, one one of Hitler's biggest uh, goals was to create what he said Lebensraum or living space for the German people because due to the Treaty of Versailles, you had ethnic Germans or I should say, German speaking Germans I guess I you had Germans in different parts of Europe that were not a part of Germany. So one of Hitler's goals was to unite all Germans in Europe. Yeah, and that's one thing I can see a little bit too with Putin as well. Um, some like pan-ethnic kind of yeah it's yeah I feel like there's some kind of it's I feel like it's more in between the lines here because he's not explicitly saying yeah the people of Russia have been like victimized by yeah so and so he's talking about you know the Soviet collapse which was a uh, very traumatic time for Russians well anyone in the Soviet Union but in the Russia, former Soviet Union oh yeah yeah but particularly Russians as well. Um, you know, crime was rampant, you know, everything was uncertain. It was like a period of chaos. Uh, there was like the coup th that was happening that failed, which also kind of contributed to the collapse. Um, it, it was a complete fucking disaster. And, you know, many Russians struggled through that time. So the whole course of events, I'm, I'm kind of reading back here. The whole course of events that took place then is a good lesson for us today. It's convincingly showed that the paralysis of power and will is the first step towards complete degradation of oblivion. What the fuck? Actually, this is where I'm struggling to get what the fuck he's actually that talking like, about. That sounds very Nietzsche esque. Nietzsche esque. It sounds. Will. See, power and will. <laughs> this is one of the parts of this speech that sounds like the most fascistic to me. Yeah, I can see that. You know, like the triumph of the will, kind of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like the documentary. Will to power. Yeah. Yeah. Even though Nietzsche wasn't a fascist, but you know his ideology was appropriated by the Nazis. Yeah, it was appropriated. Yeah. 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 Um, th that particular segment sounds very fascistic to me. You know, if 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 will fails, then we will fall into like degradation, into oblivion. If well, we, here's the thing. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, if we if we fail to exercise our power, then it's the first step to our like destruction, essentially. Yeah. And one thing I was thinking about too, again, the importance of pro wrestling. 
<laughs> wrestling? Think about it. When you're given the speech like this, the first thing you do in your speech, you start out your speech with something that the people know to be true. Like NATO increasing their power. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Now he's starting to mix a little bit of the truth with half truth or no truth. But you always start with the people trusting what you say. That's what pro wrestlers do when they give their uh, promos to be given to the people to try to get them to, to try to bolster interest in the matches. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Good. Very good point. I would not have thought about that, actually. Pro wrestling is life, man. It's life. It's psychology. And that's one part of that psychology. These... Putin is the Putin is the bad guy. He's the I hate to use pro wrestling terms, but he's the hill. But what did he start with in his in his speech? Tell the people something you know they know to be true. Mm-hmm. And now he's gonna get all like you said. It seems to get more fascistic now. So let's move on. Um, moving on. Uh, this has led to the fact that previous treaties and agreements are no longer in effect. Persuasion and request do not help. Everything that does not suit the hegemon, those in power, is declared archaic, obsolete, unnecessary, and vice versa. Everything that seems beneficial to them is presented as the ultimate truth. Pushed through at any cost, boorishly, by all means, dissenters are broken at the knee. (laughs) This feels like the pot calling the kettle black here. (laughs) Yeah. Like, how often have Russia and Russian-backed separatists like repeatedly violated agreements that they've made with ukraine over the past decade (laughs) yeah (laughs) like this is very this is this is like legit pot calling kettle black (laughs) yeah so he's trying to say they're pushing he's trying to say what the west wants what they're pushing is what they want to be the ultimate truth Mm -hmm. and anybody who dissents to their worldview there is broken through the knee. So I can... Dissenters are broken. It. <laughs> Dissenters are broken through the knee, huh? That sounds that sounds like a very Russian thing to happen. I'm not gonna, <laughs> let's be honest. Russia, a, a fam- Russia, a famously free freedom of speech society. Oh, yeah. Dissent, in, dissent is discouraged. <laughs> That, that's so weird because it's like you look at 19th century Russia and the great Russian literature and mm-hmm. compare that to the 20th century Russia. It's like, huh, maybe the Tsar had more freedom of speech in the Soviet Union. I'm just putting that out there. Maybe. I don't what? know. Wait, wait, what? I don't know. The think Tsar? about it. I mean, they killed the Tsar. Yeah. <laughs> He doesn't get much freedom of speech because he's fucking dead. Um, I'm saying maybe the czarist regime in the 19th century had more freedom of speech than the Soviet Union regime in the 20th century. Um, I don't know, but I don't know. I, I'm just putting that out there. I don't know. It's a good question. It's a good I, historical question. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's a good question to ask. I'm very skeptical if that's actually true. <laughs> yeah. We'd have to look at the primary sources. We'd have to look at... We, so that would be a historical investigation. Very interesting. But I don't think Russia has ever been truly a free speech society, ever. Mm, not not fam- famously free speech Russia. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, so yeah, here we definitely have, you know, like the West in terms of international relations as like, not necessarily as like a single entity, but as like a block of Western countries mm-hmm. helps to kind of view it as a block. And they all have their own self-interests and a lot of their self-interests kind of overlap. So there's a lot more cooperation, right? So the UK and yeah. France have like a high degree of cooperation and UK and the United States also have, you know, the same amount. So they're willing to kind of engage and cooperate more of each other to kind of achieve their own self-interest. You know, even if it's like straight up fucking imperialism. And mm, it yeah. should be noted and that just because something is within a country's self-interest, that's not a justification. That's a motivation, right? So mm-hmm. it was like in the interest of the United States to invade Iraq and depose Saddam Hussein, uh, mostly for materialistic reasons. None of the bullshit reasons about, you know... Like, the weapons of mass, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was all a big fucking lie. And yeah. you know what? There was nobody there to actually stop the U.S. Like, and Bush who, is a war criminal. Bush the second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking war criminal. Bush crim- the second, you're a war criminal. Let's be real. There are, so. US, there are U.S. presidents, if we lived in a more just world, who yeah. would be charged with crimes against humanity right for him in 2004 <laughs> don't say that <laughs> i did i know you did but don't tell yeah, a fucking world. Come. what do you expect i turned 18 in 2004 what do you expect i don't know man <laughs> when you're young dumb and come you vote for republicans i guess so uh, <laughs> damn dude um i lost my chain of thought <laughs> um i guess what i'm saying here though is that on the one hand yeah the Western powers are very, if they can get away with it, fuck international law. They they are like that. I mean, they have to at least pay some more or less lip service to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, Russia, in this specific case of Ukraine, has essentially made multiple different, like, conflicting claims, right? So, like, on the one hand, you know, Russia or at least pro-Russian sources or anti, anti, even we can say so-called like anti-imperialist sources as they like to call themselves. Like a lot of them said, you know, it's what it's American hysteria that Russia was going to invade Ukraine. And, mm-hmm. you know, all these figures did even Edward, like from Edward Snowden um, and a bunch of other like very public figures who have been like adamant. Uh, I guess, I don't know how you would say it. Like, I guess activists against or against imperialism, right? Um, and in this case, they were wrong. Russia did invade, and now the narrative has changed to where, um, oh, point. This is NATO. This is NATO's fault. It's all NATO's fault. It's all mm. America's fault. Even though it's a it's a very bizarre narrative because on the one hand, we've already kind of conceded that yeah, NATO has expanded and gotten bigger even though for some reason Russia did not demand <laughs> that these countries, you know, put that shit on paper, verbal agreements and all that don't fucking mean shit and <laughs> law. Well, it's not for the most part, but you know what I mean? Um, but I guess like the point I'm trying to get to is that like this shit has, you know, Russia is doing this too. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. Popcorn kettle black. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's still unjustified at the end of the day, we've already acknowledged and kind of talked about 
what would motivate Vladimir Putin and his government to kind of pursue this course of action, as stupid as it is, especially because now Russia is stuck in the situation that they've caused, but it's not actually morally justified. It doesn't get you from like A to B, you know, that Russia is justified to invade Ukraine based on X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Yeah. So check out this paragraph that I'm about to read from this speech. Mm-hmm. Here again. So here again, he's he's telling the truth. He starts to get off track in the previous paragraphs, but now he's coming back to the truth. Here he goes again. And I quote, what I'm talking about now concerns not only Russia and not only us. This applies to the entire system of international relations and sometimes even to the U.S. allies themselves. After the collapse of the USSR, the redivision of the world actually began and the norms of international law that had developed by that time and the key basic ones were adopted at the end of the Second World War and largely consolidated its results. Yeah. So kind of confusing there what he's saying there. So let me, so there's a um, hyphen. So let me go to that hyphen. So after the collapse of the USSR, the redivision of the world actually began and the norms of international law that had been developed by that time began to interfere with those who declared themselves a winner in the Cold War. Mm -hmm. I think there's, I mean, he's not wrong here. Like the collapse of the USSR essentially paved the way for the United States in particular to exert global dominance rather than just half the fucking planet. (laughs) Like the U.S. basically had no great obstacle left to impose like hegemony across the whole fucking world. (laughs) And um, don't get me wrong, the Soviet Union was trying to do that too. Let's be real. Um, But, but, but. Let me tell you something though. Have you ever heard of Bretton Woods Conference? The Bretton Woods Conference? Uh, no. Uh, hit me up with that. Oh, yeah. So the Bretton Woods Conference, in my opinion, is one of the reasons why we didn't have a third world war after World War II. So the Bretton Woods Conference, formerly known as the United Nations Monetary and Financial Conference, was the gathering of 730 delegates from 44 allied nations during World War II at the Mount Washington Hotel situated in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire, uh, United States. Mm -hmm. Why? What was the point of this meeting? Pay attention. To regulate the international monetary and financial order after the conclusion of World War II. Basically, to create a capitalist world order so that Mm -hmm. any country that would go against this capitalist world order would face severe, severe sanctions oh that's a very that's a very good point actually what was established at the bretton woods conference how about the international monetary fund imf how Mm -hmm. about the uh world bank no wait a minute world no world bank yeah the one based in new york yeah how about the world health organization Mm -hmm. i mean there were so coming out of this conference you have a new economic world order and that's what we're seeing right now so vividly with what's happening to russia when the entire world except for a few key countries like china for some reason are not sanctioning russia and what are they sanctioning russia with economic economic sanctions 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it all goes back to this Bretton Woods conference in 1944. Yeah. And I'm sure, especially given the context of the Cold War, I'm sure plenty of that was also to act as a measure against, you know, like the spread of communism, right? Or, you know, what they called communism back then. I mean, obviously the Soviet world was very different from that. Um, Yeah, it was a different uh, economic system. Yeah, radical. I would say, yeah, radically different. State capitalist. Oh, I want to apologize, too. The World Health Organization was established on April 7th, 1948, not the Bretton Woods Conference. But the IMF and the World Bank were established at the Bretton Woods Conference. Mm, I see. Yeah, sorry. Correction. So, yeah, like global dominance between the West, if you want to say the U.S. or just the West, doesn't matter, and the Soviet Union had radically different views and visions for the world, right? Like, they were both domineering hegemons in their own way, with different goals. Um, But the one goal that was in common, for whatever reasons, was global dominance. Yeah. Um, I would say imperialism, like wanting to take over these countries and then tell them what your government should be, or no, we don't like that government. The USSR and the USA did the mm -hmm. same thing. There was a reason why nationalism, especially in the latter half of this previous century, was one of the reasons why the Soviet Union collapsed. Oh, okay. Like in Hungary, for example, right? You know, when the Soviet Union crushed the uh, attempt at... uh, You remember the the Soviet intervention in Hungary during the Cold War? Literally. Oh, was that in the 50s? 1956? I think so, yeah. It's literally where we kind of get yeah. the term tanky 56. from. Yeah. So part of that, if I remember right anyway, let me Google it. Uh, Soviet intervention in Hungary. The Hungarians were hungry. <laughs> um, yeah, the Hungarian Revolution in 1956. Yeah. Um, it was a country It was a, essentially a countrywide revolution against, you know, the Hungarian People's Republic, which was basically, you know, like a Soviet satellite state. Yeah. Um, and they were also protesting against the domestic policies that were imposed by the USSR. It did have a very strong nationalistic character to it, right? And, of course, you know, the outcome was <laughs> it was repressed by the Soviets. But, yeah, I guess one of the things that interests me, especially about the Cold War, is, you know, what were the causes for this widespread nationalism in these Soviet republics, whether it's oh, yeah. Kazakhstan oh. or Ukraine or Poland or Hungary or so on and so forth, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, and you look at too when the Cold, when the USSR collapsed. Look at the Bosnian War between 1992 and 95. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, the genocide, the quote-unquote ethnic cleansing. Yeah. So I guess the thing I'm trying to get to is that I'm not trying to say which world order is better. I think that's kind of like a stupid Mm, conversation to have. Yeah. I think the thing that interests me, though, is that even if we do agree that, you know, the Western capitalist order was dog shit, which it was and still is, would a, a world where, let's say you live in Hungary, right? Yeah. Or whatever. Would you want to live in a world where all your domestic policies are actually made in Moscow? No. Yeah. Why would you want that? Nobody in their fucking right mind would want that. 
Like, people who don't even speak your fucking language? People who could give, like, less of a shit about you? Fuck off. But I'll, and I'll even go a step further, man, when I say, uh, at least in my opinion, I think that 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 financial world order that was established in 1944, mm-hmm. it seemed to have prevent a nuclear, it seemed to have prevent another world war, even though, even though it still led to untold suffering among millions upon millions of people who were not as powerful as the United States or the USSR, like Vietnam, proxy wars in Vietnam, mm-hmm. proxy wars in Latin America, proxy wars in Africa. Absolutely. On the continent of Africa, I should say. And yeah. No, that's all absolutely correct. Yeah. Like So it's not like this world order this world order prevented war. I just think it prevented another world war and nuclear war up to this point. Right, right. We it prevented World War Three, but still brought us uncomfortably close to fucking World War Three at the absolutely. same time. So there's that too. And like like I said, the current world order is a Western-dominated one. It's still fairly neoliberal and yeah, all that. Yeah, and it's still yeah. rooted in imperialism and exploitation. And people, like millions of people, suffer and die every day when they don't have to. So I'm not trying to say the Soviet Union was just as bad or anything like that. Or no, communism. this isn't a blame game. No, it isn't, yeah. No, it's an observation that these yeah. two f- world orders sucked in their own unique ways i don't know if you and cause a lot of suffering for the people who yeah proxy yeah, wars yeah and maybe it's a situation you know if you even tried to compare them it would be like trying to compare apples and oranges or whatever or mm-hmm. whatnot but that said i think i might have gotten completely off track at this point um well let's continue let's continue <laughs> i think yeah because if i keep continuing at that point i'm just gonna ramble Um, So he continues, he says, Of course, in practical life and international relations, in the rules for the regulation, it was necessary to take into account changes in the situation in the world and the balance of power itself. However, this should not have been done professionally, smoothly, patiently, taking into account and respecting the interests of all countries and understanding our responsibility. But no state... I'm sorry, but no... A state of euphoria from an, from absolute superiority, a kind of modern form of absolutism, and even against the backdrop of a low level of general culture and arrogance of those who prepared, adopted, and pushed through decisions that were beneficial only for themselves. This situation began to develop according to a different scenario. And so look at the examples he gives. You don't have to look for examples, he says. You don't have to look far for examples. Mm-hmm. First, without any sanction from the UN Security Council, they, and it, they, it's so like, why don't you just come out and say, they being the West, maybe? Or NATO. Oh, because they was. carried, oh yeah? Yeah, he's talking about, you know, the military operation, uh, the bloody military operation against Belgrade using aircraft and missiles right in the very center of Europe. So he's oh. referencing here the uh, the NATO bombings of Belgrade, during the uh, breakup of Yugoslavia, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. After the USSR. Yeah. Collapse. So. Well, even though Yugoslavia, no, Yugoslavia. was not a Soviet satellite. It wasn't a Soviet satellite. No, it was. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was independent of the, of the Soviet Union. Okay, yeah. So. It was friendly with them, though. Mm, complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> no, with Tito and them, yeah. 
Yeah, Tito, I mean, after, there is kind of like a funny exchange between Tito and Stalin where, you know, Stalin was like trying to repeatedly have Tito killed. And Ted Tito sent a letter to Stalin saying, hey, if you don't stop, I'm going to have someone come kill you. And then he stopped. <laughs> it's like, okay, no more assassination attempts against Tito, apparently. So that's what he's talking about here, though? Belgrade? Belgrade? Grain? Yeah. Belgrade? So uh, Belgrade is in Serbia, right? And um, okay. this was kind of a issue. So wow. Ser- Serbia, let me... Pull up my sources here so I don't so miss Yeah, he's going all the way back to the break, like 91, 92. That's not that far. That, that wasn't that long ago. That was like. Yeah. So um, it was like. This speech is so rich, man. Just wow. Yeah. So. Oh, um, yeah. And it's so World War One. It's like, bro, you're like 80 years. Like you're like 80 years old. You know, this idea of nationalism creating war like. You're old. Like, ooh, that was so yesterday. What? Is Vladimir Putin a fucking uh, valley girl now? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. People who want to follow that nationalism bullshit in the 21st century. Like, go back to fucking 100 years ago, bro. You're old. You're outdated. Get the fuck out of here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, it's like, you know, I'm going to go back and wear fashion from the 1800s in 1914. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of do want to do that, actually. But no, never mind. <laughs> So let's cover up a little basics here, right? So the bombing of Yugoslavia, the one that uh, Putin is mentioning here, that was carried out against the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia during the Kosovo War. And the Kosovo War, for all of you who do not know, started back in 1998 and lasted until 1999. Oh, okay. So, so basically, you know... Specific here, like when it comes to years, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So like February 1998, June of 1999. Not a long fight. Um, so it was fought by, you know, the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, Serbia and Montenegro, which controlled Kosovo before the war and the Kosovo Albanian rebel group known as the Kosovo Liberation Army and mm. the war, the confl- <clears throat> the conflict ended when NATO you know intervened by bombing Belgrade in March of 1999 Ooh. and eventually the result was that the Yugoslav forces did withdraw from Kosovo right and this was like happening at a time when uh, diplomatic attempts at resolution fell apart so okay. NATO decided to intervene. So they justified, I'm using justified in air quotes here, as a uh, humanitarian war, right? So there was a mass expulsion of like- Isn't that an oxymoron? Yeah, it always, <laughs> when, when a motherfucker says they're going for a humanitarian <laughs> war, you know the motherfuckers are lying. So- Yeah, or it's a humanitarian. So there was a mass expulsion of Kosovar Albanians, right? You know, Albanian, like Albanians living in Kosovo. And uh, the Yugoslav military continued to fight them during the aerial bombing through from March to June. And by the year 2000, there was this investigation done, right? And this, these investigate, well, multiple. These investigations recovered a bunch of remains from like 3,000 victims. And uh, it was basically, there was a UN court investigation held it was based in kosovo and they found that there was a systemic campaign of terror murders rapes and arsons that mm-hmm. you know the yugoslav troops tried to essentially ethnically cleanse the albanians from kosovo okay 
So what happened uh, as a result of the NATO bombing of Belgrade was that uh, lots of innocent civilians were killed as a result. So it was <laughs> it was really fucking bad. Okay. So. Yeah, Putin continues here after mentioning that. He says, we have to remind these facts. Otherwise, some Western colleagues do not like to remember those events. And when we talk about it, they prefer to point not to the norms of international law, but to the circumstances that they interpret as they see fit. Then came the turn of Iraq, Libya, and Syria. The illegitimate use of military force against Libya, the perversion of all decisions of the UN Security Council on the Libyan issue led to the complete destruction of the state, to the emergence of a huge hotbed of international terrorism, to the fact that the country plunged into a humanitarian catastrophe that has not stopped for many years, civil war, the tragedy which doomed hundreds of thousands, millions of people, not only in Libya but throughout the region, gave rise to a massive migration exodus from North Africa in the Middle East to Europe. Mm. Yeah. So a similar fate, he says, a similar fate was prepared for Syria. The fighting of the Western coalition on the territory of this country without the consent of the Syrian government and the sanction of the UN Security Council is nothing but aggressive, uh, nothing but aggression, intervention. Right. Ooh. All right. So let's be real. He is stating facts here. He's not making this shit up. He's pointing out very, like, researchable facts. He may or may not be leaving out certain circumstances. I don't know, because I'm not an expert on all these interventions. But the things he's mentioning here are based in reality. NATO has done tons of evil shit as an organization, right? And usually the things that it has done that have been particularly fucking evil usually have been done in the interest of, like, Western countries. Mm, yeah. So... NATO is not a benign organization. but entirely benign. Correct. So, that said, though, this is... I feel like this is him still kind of like pot calling kettle black at the same time. Well, what I think he's trying to do is saying, well, I'm going to invade Ukraine. Well, you guys did it. I should be able to do it, too. That's what I think... The argument I think he's kind of setting up here. That's... You can say that. I think I can see kind of like that perspective as well um, it's a bullshit excuse because he's the aggressor he should not be invading this country ukraine but yeah because ultimately at the end of the day if we're kind of like focusing in specifically when it comes to ukraine vladimir putin is essentially kind of like doing the exact same things yeah yeah exactly yeah like granted he hasn't like to my knowledge, yet killed hundreds of thousands of, like, civilians or some shit like that. Um, But that said, this still isn't a justification for judging Ukraine, for invading Ukraine, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, look what he says in the next paragraph. This is something that we know to be true, at least Mm -hmm. part of it. So, however, so in the next paragraph, he says, however, a special place in this series is occupied, of course, by the invasion of Iraq also without any legal grounds. As a pretext, they chose reliable information allegedly available to the United States about the presence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. As proof of this publicly, and from the eyes of the whole world, 
The U.S. Secretary of State shook some kind of test tube with white powder, assuring everyone that this is a chemical weapon being developed in Iraq. And then it turned out this was all a hoax, a bluff. There was no chemical weapons in Iraq. Unbelievable, surprising, but the fact remains. There were lies at the highest state, uh, at the highest state level in the high rostrum of the UN. And as a result, huge casualties, destruction, and incredible surge of terrorism. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is, I, I, this is I correct too. With that. <laughs> so he We're, says, uh, yeah. I'm still not hearing a more, I'm not really hearing an argument for why the Ukrainian invasion is justified. These yeah. are just facts that just happen to be all correct. Yeah, let me skip around then and I, see where, I yeah. I feel like the thing here is like, why would you trust NATO in the U.S. given, you know, they have this long history of lying about shit, which is true. Uh, yeah. There is a long history of... And we may be next. That's yeah. what he's basically trying to do. He's trying to, in his audience, because he, he's speaking to the Russian people, right? Historical mm -hmm. thinking skills. Well, who's the source? Why are they giving this speech? Who is the audience? The audience is the Russian people. Yeah. He's basically trying to say to the Russian people and Russia's ally countries, the U.S. and NATO did it to these places. They'll do it to you too, mother effer. Mm -hmm. So that's why. So he's kind of. So it seems to me in this speech, he, he, it's sort of like Mark Antony and um, Julius Caesar. You know Shakespeare, one of his best plays. Yeah. It, the the funeral speech, Mark Antony. He's trying to turn turn the people against against NATO and the West. I guess the West. You get what he calls the West. Mm hmm. I'm going to skip around a little bit here to see what his uh, what his justification for invading Ukraine is. Yeah, because I'm, I'm just reading the next paragraph. I mean, this is all facts. That's true. Not about invade. Not, nothing really justifying the whole Ukraine bit, though. <laughs> um, let's see here. Let me read this part. In this series, in promises to our country not to expand NATO by one inch to the east, I repeat, they deceived me, but in popular terms, they simply threw it away. Yes, you can often hear that politics is a dirty business. Perhaps, but not to the same extent. Not to the same extent, after all. Such cheating behavior contradicts not only the principles of international relations, but above all, the generally recognized norms of morality and morality? What? Did he say morality twice? <laughs> I think it's maybe an error. Maybe. The re I'll just say, but above all, the generally recognized norms of morality. Where is justice and truth here? What a bunch of lies and hypocrisy. I feel like the majority of this speech is not meant to actually justify I think not to be an explicit justification, but rather an implicit justification. Oh, Even though, okay. like, true. because given his audience, obviously, it's not the rest of the fucking world. It's to, you know, like, the Russians. It's to Russians. So there's really not an argument still being made, even implicitly. It's meant to kind of like, how do I say this? Well, maybe if we keep reading. It's like the West is essentially saying, you know, the West is dangerous. You know, they don't care about international law, yada, 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 yada. Even if this is all true, like, okay, you're still invading a country that's not in NATO, bro. Yeah, yeah. 
the leading the leading NATO countries, in order to achieve their own goals, support extreme nationalists and neo Nazis in Ukraine and everything. So this is the thing that I kind of mentioned earlier, right? Where this is also pot calling kettle black. So and you know what? And here's the thing. I'm not like a big supporter of NATO, and this is actually correct. Yeah, NATO has in fact supported They've collaborated, well, maybe not NATO, but NATO countries, rather. You know, they have collaborated with, like, Nazis and shit like that, right? But we know for a fact, too, that Russia is, too. Hence, is Russia, like, <laughs> like, is Russia also trustworthy? <laughs> like, you are also trying, Russia is literally doing the same thing here. And I feel like this is a classic example of whataboutism. I feel like this is more explicit well, no, it's not explicit whataboutism, because explicit whataboutism would be like, you know, if you were accused of something, right? And then you accuse sure. the other person of doing something, you know, that's also really bad, right? Yeah. Like, let's say, you know, I accuse you of being a murderer, and I'm like, well, you're an arsonist. Does that make me <laughs> right in any sense? No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, it's a deflection. It's a deflection, yeah. right? So this is not explicitly whataboutism here. This is just yeah. him saying that here's something they're doing. And he's obviously, you know, not bringing up the fact that his government does it too. Mm. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, so I'm going to scroll down a little bit here mm -hmm. um, to... Well, hold on. Let me show you. Page five in the notes in the one, two, three, four, five paragraph. Then now he's starting to get more to Ukraine. Okay. The previous paragraphs are just him going through um, his version of history. And again, it's more like that implicit, like you said. Um, I'm at the part where it says in this regard and about the situation in Donbass, or is it don't... Donbass, is it? You can say Donbass. Donbass. So he says, escaping ahead, in this regard and about the situation in Donbass, we see that the forces that carried out a coup d'etat in Ukraine in 2014 seized power and are holding it with the help of, in fact, decorative electoral procedures. Decorative or fake, I guess. Um, have finally... Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I feel like that's also the same allegation that countries because he's talking about the uh the overthrow of the former president of uk ukraine a gay name uh oh god i don't know how to pronounce his fucking name it's yeah, like we, we apologize uh i believe it was victor yanukovych so mm -hmm. victor yanukovych he was like the fourth president of Ukraine from around 2010. And he was removed from office in the uh, 2014, you know, Euromaidan revolution, right? Ooh, yeah. um, so it was like a mass popular protest, right? And they, uh, the government killed some protesters, actually. Mm. Um, so essentially, like the super oversimplified version of what happened was yeah. that the young Yanukovych government was offered deals to possibly enter the European Union, right? Um, they, re they rejected those deals. And it was partly because, you know, Russia was offering better deals to them. 
So essentially one of the kind of popular theories out there is that the government currently in Ukraine is kind of like a Western puppet government, right? Oh, okay. Which even if, even if we grant that, even if we actually say that's correct, and I'm not saying that's correct, but okay. assuming that is correct, how, how does that justify the invasion? Like, hmm. how does that actually justify bringing your military in to like literally lob fire missiles and occupy another country? Unless yeah. Ukraine was going to like attack you, which why would they do that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that said, though, even though there was definitely like uh, some outside involvement in the revolution, I definitely don't deny that. This was still also a popular revolution against his government because a lot of the people there in Ukraine weren't particularly happy that this guy was moving closer towards Russia. Okay. So it's very complicated, and I think maybe yeah. we could benefit by doing an episode about that so we can learn more. Yeah, um, that'd be excellent, man. Yeah, but this guy was also massively fucking corrupt. Viktor Yanukovych, dude was corrupt as fuck, right? Yeah, and you say he was friendly toward more Russian uh, influences? He, yeah, um... But there's also, like, lots of criticisms and allegations about, you know, cronyism, especially mm. got, especially from, like, ministers from, like, the Donbass region, oddly enough. Um, <laughs> so he was accused of, like, regional cronyism with, like, essentially, like, filling his government with, like, people from Donbass, specifically. There's a lot more that goes into it, too. I mean, he's a fucking tycoon and all that. Oh, okay. Uh, dude, dude is rich, and he's living in exile in Russia today. But essentially, after they ousted him, they essentially held new elections. Okay. And that's essentially kind of where... That's kind of what he's referencing. This is what Vladimir Putin is referencing at this point. Okay. Yeah, because I, I was ignorant of that history. I did not know. I'm not an expert of it either, and it's kind of like why I want to read more about it so I can... Yeah. Kind of have a it better... pretty fascinating, I mean... Yeah, because ultimately, like, this is a situation where I actually don't know very much. Just, like, cards on the table. I don't know the ins and outs of the situation. It's a very... Yeah, I know a lot about the history, um, as opposed to, like, the current, like, the current context. Like, this 2014 thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so Putin continues so that we see the forces that carried out the coup d'etat in Ukraine in 2014 seize power and are holding it with the help of, in fact, decorative electoral procedures have finally abandoned the peaceful settlement of the conflict. For eight years, endlessly long eight years, we have done everything possible to resolve the situation by peaceful political means all in vain. Um, so he says, I continue, as I said in my previous address, one cannot look at what is happening there without compassion. It is simply impossible to endure all this. It is necessary to immediately stop this nightmare, the genocide against millions of people living there who rely only on Russia, hope only on us. It was these aspirations, feelings, pain of people that were there for us. The main motive for making a decision to recognize the people's republics of Donbass. What I think important to emphasize further. 
the leading NATO countries, in order to achieve their own goals, support extreme nationalists and neo-Nazis in Ukraine, in Ukraine, and everything. Who, in turn, will never forgive the Crimean, the Crimeans, and Sevastopol residents for their free choice reunification with Russia. So now he's talking about the uh, the Crimean, sorry, Crimean Peninsula. Mm-hmm. I can never say that word, Crimean, and the um, the election. In 2014, was it where 90 supposedly 97 percent of the Crimean people wanted Crimea to go back to Russia or go to Russia? Um, I don't know the stats about that. I think yeah. that's another thing we probably have to look into before okay. I feel comfortable commenting on it. Yeah, me too. But he's referencing um, so recent history though. So he's right. Re- so basically, what we do know confidently is that he's referencing recent history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, of course, he says, will climb to, into the Crimea, just like in Donbass, with a war in order to kill as punishers from the gang. Uh, well, there's a lot of, hold on, there are a lot of uh, commas here. So they, of course, will climb into the Crimea, and just like in the Donbass, with a war in order to kill as punishers from gangs of Ukrainian nationalists, Hitler's accomplices kill. Sorry, there are like so many, like, commas in there yeah so it's very disjointed yeah because this is a speech after all we're reading a transcription of it Mm -hmm. um entire course of events and analysis of incoming information show that russia's class with these forces forces is inevitable it is only a matter of time they're getting ready they're waiting for the right time now they also claim to possess nuclear weapons we will not allow this to be done so he's basically saying he, so what I just read to you, that sounds like a preemptive strike. He's saying Russia is doing it, needs to do a preemptive strike. Well, especially the claim to possess nuclear weapons, that that's a fucking lie. He's just lying at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so let's go here to where he talks more about Ukraine, because now he gets back into more USSR history. Um... But Russia cannot feel safe, develop, exist with a constant threat coming from the territory of modern Ukraine. Okay? No, he said the territory of modern Ukraine. Mm. The territory, not their own independent country. Yeah. Also, it's kind of interesting that... uh, Let's see here. I'm reading at a uh, different part than you are, I think. Okay. As I said earlier, after the collapse of the USSR... Russia accepted new geopolitical realities. We respect and will continue to treat all the newly formed countries in the post-Soviet space with respect, except Ukraine and Georgia. We respect and will continue to respect their sovereignty. And an example of this is the assistance we provided to Kazakhstan, which faced tragic events with a challenge to its statehood and integrity. But Russia cannot feel safe develop, exist, of a constant a constant threat emanating from the territory of modern Ukraine. Yeah. So this is, there's, I feel like there's, would you consider this doublespeak? On the one hand, you have him talking about how Russia will respect the sovereignty of all these other countries in the post-Soviet space. And then says, like, the territory of modern Ukraine. Well, they don't see Ukraine as a separate country. He doesn't see him. Right. Ukraine, yeah. So he's he's contradicting himself here, of course. He's obviously contradicting himself here like none of the shit that he's talked about previously backs up this all the shit about mm. nazis and nato and other shit doesn't mm. have anything to do with this particular cl- claim here 
Yeah. This is, I, yeah, this is probably, this is another reason why he invaded Ukraine. Mm -hmm. I think one was NATO, the growing influence of NATO, and the second one was this. And there could be the other... he sees Ukraine. Yeah, and there could be other reasons too as well. So he's mentioning here, let me remind you that in 2000 through 2005, we gave a military rebuff to terrorists in the Caucasus, defended the integrity of our state, saved Russia. What? Mm. What? Was Russia in danger of being conquered by somebody? <laughs> um, wonder what he's referring to here. So again, he's using a, he's using another great uh, speech element of speech hyperbole. Yeah, I saved the country. I'm typing here but you can feel free to keep reading so yeah in 2014 they supported the crimeans and the sevastopol residents in 2015 the armed forces used to put a reliable barrier to the penetration of terrorists from syria into russia we had no other way to protect ourselves the same thing is happening now you and i simply have not been left with any opportunity any other opportunity to protect russia our people except for the one that we will be forced to use today. Circumstances with the choir, which require us to take decisive and immediate action. The People's Republics of Donbass turned to Russia with a request for help. Ooh, ooh. That's always a bad pretext for invasion. Hmm. In this regard, in accordance with Article 51 of Part 7 of the UN Charter, with the sanction of the Federal Council of Russia and in pursuance of the Treaties of Friendship and Mutual Assistance ratified by the Federal Assembly on 22nd February this, this year, with the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic, I decided to conduct a special military operation. Its goal is to protect people who have been subjected to bullying and genocide by the Kyiv regime for eight years. And for this, we will strive for the demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine, <laughs> as well as bringing to justice who committed numerous bloody crimes against civilians, including citizens of the Russian Federation. Hmm, maybe, so again, we're kind of, yeah, interesting. Maybe given that Russia does have a neo-Nazi problem of its own, if it's so concerned with denazification, you might want to try <laughs> your own borders first. But it's that's just a pretext. It's it's not even, yeah, it's a, it's a fucking pretext. Because it's, it's ultimately at the end of the day, you know, he's equating, you know, the Ukrainian government as essentially like a collaborating with Nazis, which I guess in one light, I mean, having a neo-Nazi battalion in your National Guard that emerged as a result of, you know, the war with Ukraine and Donbass and all those republics, true. Um, but that said, if your own government is also collaborating with neo-Nazis, not just in that particular case, but also in Europe, like it's kind of a confirmed fact that the Russian government would, had intelligence agencies working with uh one example is the hungarian national front which is a uh, far-right neo-nazi party mm. in hungary so this is very this is just a bad faith <laughs> this is not this is, he's just talking in bad faith here as for the uh claims about genocide pretty sure we would have heard about that by yeah, now yeah that this yeah, is we heard of the uyghurs and the rohingya but what i yeah. He's being genocided <laughs> yeah. to, to use a verb that doesn't exist. It's because it's because he's lying. That's why. <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, 
he keeps going back and forth to history here. Like, like keeping going on, he's saying, um, at the same time, our plans do not include the occupation of Ukrainian uh, territories. Mm. We are not going to. <laughs> it, it, well, like you, you have to occupy it. How else are you? Wouldn't, we're uh, not going. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Wouldn't a denazification imply that you'd have to occupy the country first before you yeah, supposedly denazify it, my dude? But again, it's not serious. It's it's just cynical and self-serving. That's it. Uh, yeah, and he says, uh, we are not going to impose anything on anyone by force. At the same time, we hear that recently in the West, there are more and more words that the documents signed by the Soviet totalitarian regime, which consolidate the results of the Second War, should no longer be carried out. What? what? I don't know. So he says, we are not going to impose on any... So at the same time, we hear that recently in the West, there are more and more words that the documents signed by the Soviet totalitarian regime, which consolidate the results of the Second World War, should no longer be carried out. I don't know what documents he's talking about. Neither do I. I don't... Yeah. He says, uh, well, what is the answer to this? The results of the Second World War, as well as the sacrifice made by our people on the altar of victory over Nazism, are sacred. But this does not contradict the high values of human rights and freedoms based on the realities that have developed today over all the post-war decades. It, is all, it also does not cancel the right of nations to self-determination enshrined in Article 1 of the UN Charter. <laughs> Let me remind you that neither during the creation of the USSR nor after the Second World War, people living in certain territories that are part of modern Ukraine, no one ever asked how they themselves want to arrange their lives. Our policy is based on freedom, the freedom of choice, for everybody to independently determine their own future and the future of their children. And we consider it important that this right, the right to choose, could be used by all the peoples living in the territory of today's Ukraine by everyone who knows it. Again, there's that word. Territory. Territory, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like the China and Taiwan thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, in this regard, I appeal to the citizens of Ukraine. In 2014, Russia was obliged to protect the inhabitants of Crimea and Sevastopol from those whom you yourself call Nazis. <laughs> Crimeans and Sevastopol residents made their choice to be with their historical homeland, with Russia. And we supported this. I repeat. They simply could not do otherwise. Well, that's kind of literally. Hmm. Interesting. No, they had a gun up their ass. Of course they couldn't do it. And the guys who did want to were given guns by Russia. <laughs> yeah. Today's events are not connected with the desire to infringe on the interest of Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. They are connected with the protection of Russia itself from those who took Ukraine hostage and are trying to use it against our country and its people. Man, where is he pulling this stuff out of? I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, part of the rhetoric that he's employing here is to give you, the you, a Russian citizen, a, a proud patriotic Russian citizen, that his government is acting on your self-interest, right? Not just yeah. your interest, but like, you know, the common interests of the people of Ukraine as well, because neo-Nazis are in the government, right? Then apparently he's calling it, he's yeah. essentially calling, you know, the government a neo-Nazi regime, yeah. which I'm like, it's surprisingly very democratic for a neo-nazi state like, i'm um, like dude Zelensky is jewish <laughs> the fuck? so like on the one hand i will say this right 
Um, I don't know if this is necessarily comparable or not. So <laughs> on one hand, you know how people say, you know, in the United States, oh, well, there can't be racism anymore. Barack Obama was elected president, yeah. right? Yeah. But at the same time, though, I don't think this is necessarily the same case where you do have this long-established like, system of racism in the U.S. I don't know if this is necessarily comparable. But then again, though, there is no neo-Nazi party that has seized power in Ukraine. He's yeah. lying. He's okay. just lying about this. Jeez, this guy. Like, I'm with him on NATO. Like, you make a great point, but for this, I'm like, you're just, you're literally sticking your hand up your butt and pulling whatever comes out. And the weird thing, too, is... <laughs> Not literally, um, but... <laughs> um, yeah. And the weird thing, too, is that unless we somehow, like, overlooked it or missed it, he didn't necessarily connect the two, the, the Ukrainian Nazis ruling over Ukraine and NATO. No, I, I haven't seen it either. No, he doesn't really make that connection. He just kind of keeps mentioning NATO bad, which, yeah, NATO bad. However, in this situation, in the situation between you and Ukraine, you are actually doing the bad. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, this is... So he says, uh, to continue, I repeat, our actions are self-defense against the threats posed on us and from even a greater disaster than is what is happening today. No matter how difficult it may be, I ask you to understand this and call for cooperation in order to turn this tragic page as soon as possible and move forward together. Not to allow anyone to interfere in our affairs, in our relations, but to build them on our own so that it creates necessary conditions for overcoming all problems. And despite the presence of state borders, which strengthen inside as a whole. And this is our future. I should also appeal to the military personnel and the armed forces of Ukraine. Dear comrades, your brothers, sorry, your fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers did not fight the Nazis defending our common motherland so that today's neo-Nazis seize power in Ukraine. <laughs> you took an oath of allegiance to the Ukrainian people and not to the anti-people junta that plunders Ukraine and mocks these same people. Jeez, this guy's the, coming on strong. The anti-people hunter, huh? Anti-people hunter. Wow. You got a neo-Nazi government in Ukraine whose president is a Jewish guy. Wow, that's a... Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Holy mackerel. Yeah. Like, <laughs> going back to my earlier example, right? So, like, right. about how, you know, like, the U.S., so if you make the argument, you know, like the U.S. can't be racist because, you know, black president and all that. Yeah. Like, I think the big difference here is that racism is a system that privileges one race or one group of people over other racial groups in society at their expense. This doesn't necessarily mean that someone from a marginalized group can't become head of state, right? Whereas neo-Nazis are kind of uh, different, right? You know, neo-Nazis are very much anti-democratic, um, very anti-Jewish. You know, their goal is usually to exterminate Jews whenever I, they have power. You know, I don't really see that happening in Ukraine. Now, there is yeah. a problem. 
there is a problem with Nazis in Ukraine, but that's radically different than saying neo-Nazis have power in Ukraine. So Putin is just seems to be justifying. So Putin just seems to be connecting two unrelated things. But he doesn't even make the connection is the thing. Like he's trying to in his speech, but he doesn't. He kind of wants you to do it for him. And part of what I think is like the great media strategy here is that if you say enough times, you implicitly kind of associate Ukraine with Nazis. Gosh. Yeah, so to end his speech here, he says, Don't follow her criminal orders. Ukraine being her. I urge you to lay down your weapons immediately and go home. Let me explain. All servicemen of the Ukrainian army who fulfill this requirement will be able to freely leave the combat zone and return to their families. Once again, I insistently emphasize all the responsibility for possible bloodshed will be entirely on the conscience of the regime ruling on the territory of Ukraine. And this is the last one, last paragraph. Now a few important, very important words for those who may be tempted to intervene in the ongoing events. Whoever tries to hinder us, and even more so to create that threats for our country, for our people, should know that Russia's response will be immediate and will lead you to such consequences that you have never experienced in your history. We are ready for any development of events. All necessary decisions in this regard have been made. I hope that I will be heard. That's a nuclear threat. That has to be. Mm, it's an explicit has- threat. It's an explicit threat. Whether it's nuclear oh, yeah. or not, it's explicit. Oh. So, but anyway, that's the speech. Um, we don't- what's below that is just uh, further remarks made by Putin overnight after he invaded. So. Wow, we sure learned a lot today, didn't we? Well, we learned about this guy's justification. Um, it's not really justified at all. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. No. All you need There's was no. some critical reading skills to kind of see that. And a little background, too, into the history. Um, we can't really, for complete honesty, we, uh, you and I both agree that in terms of the recent history, the 2014 events, um, we're not, we really don't know. Right. Enough to be able to intelligently, right? Yeah. Talk about those things. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so, wow. <laughs> Just this is pretty incoherent, ultimately. I kind of agree, incoherent. Um, a lot of rambling on from him. You know, what happened to the Spartan laconic, you know, speech? If this were laconic, this would be like 10 words, <laughs> and then it would be done. <laughs> I invade your country. Fuck you up. <laughs> We're invading Lick My Ass. Laconic. <laughs> like hey, Putin, it's called... Laconic. Laconic. <laughs> so, yeah. So we agree that it's pretty fucking incoherent, but then again, it's not meant really to be coherent. It's meant to kind of, at least I believe, draw, you know, constantly build associations uh, to the audience, whom are Russians... Russian citizens, rather, that, yeah, you know, no, I shall. you know, between NATO, Ukraine, and Nazis. <laughs> NATO, Ukraine, and Nazis. Jeez, that should be the title and of a yeah. book or something. Yeah, he doesn't make any arguments here or really links them. I Like, the goal of the speech is if he just says it enough times, you'll just associate it 
with it, you know? Yeah. Mentally. Isn't that like the goal of propaganda to inundate uh, the people with falsehoods so they eventually they'll believe it? Yeah. Or at the very least, you know, create plausible deniability. So even if they don't believe it, they can still doubt whatever narrative their own governments are kind of telling about it. Mm. And don't get me wrong, you should always be skeptical about whatever is fucking being told to you by any state. Um, doesn't matter whether it's the U.S. or Russia or what have you. But, yeah, we do have historical examples, examples in recent history of, you know, Putin's regime uh, fucking lying about shit. And uh, they're, they're lying again. They don't, they know, they don't fucking care, though, that they're lying. And those are my thoughts at the moment. Yeah, mine too. And they can always change because, um, yeah, because th this is the dynamic situation. It could change literally in any minute. Yeah. Another thing I also remember, too, you know, the constant subtle associations with Ukraine not being a country, but rather a territory. Territory, with, yeah. With a regime, um, which I guess technically would imply a country. Um, however, that being said, you know, he wants his audience to believe that Ukraine is not a real country, Despite earlier in his speech saying that, you know, the Soviet, I mean, Russia would respect the sovereignty of all the countries in post-Soviet space. And if you follow this train of logic, if you constantly deny Ukraine as a sovereign country, then by, by this thinking, you're not actually contradicting yourself, even though in reality... You absolutely are. You're just making up a bullshit. You're just kind of making up bullshit to keep it going. And I love how he did the pro wrestling thing. Start with something the people know to be true. He starts with NATO. He doesn't start with that bullshit Nazi stuff that he ends with. He starts with NATO. Yeah. So that as he goes along and starts to bend the truth and just completely throw truth out the window, it plants that little seed of doubt. Cause you're like, well, this guy, well, he 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 was right about NATO. He could be right too, huh? Interesting. Trick him. That's how you trick him. That's how you trick the public. Psychology, man. Pro wrestling. Pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah, and given that that we're seeing, you know, these protests against the war in Russia, it doesn't sound like Russians in particular are buying it let me see russia that's how we should conclude then we Absolutely. should urge the russian people to unite against putin and i and you know what let's not even be like classist here right mm -hmm. every russian person whether it be a billionaire tycoon to a small peasant with little to no money come together shine for your brothers and sisters I was about to quote those lyrics, but I forgot. Dang it. <laughs> you know, the only thing I've been quoting nowadays are like public enemy. My Uzi weighs a ton. Public <laughs> enemy number one. Sophisticated or sophisticated bitch, you know, stuff like that. Oh, of course. <laughs> sophisticated. <laughs> so, but to conclude this, I want to play a video and I want you to kind of go with me. Um, Ooh, okay. I'll, well, you have to let me know, because when you play something, I can't hear it. Yeah, so it's not just 
West, so-called Western countries and NATO who are against this. There are countries not in NATO who know Russia's full of shit on this, or Vladimir Putin at least is full of shit on this. So one of the best speeches I heard basically calling out Russia, I will link this to you here, is from the is from Kenya's ambassador to the UN. It's his speech. So, do you have it pulled up right now? This is a very short speech. It's only like a like a few minutes. So, yeah, I do. Um, I'll mute my mic and play it because I don't know if when I play it, it can show up. So yeah. I'll mute my mic and play it. Okay. So I'm gonna play it in three, two, one. Kenya and almost every African country was birthed by the ending of empire. Our borders were not of our own drawing. They were drawn in the distant colonial metropoles of London, Paris, and Lisbon, with no regard for the ancient nations that they cleaved apart. Today, across the border of every single African country live our countrymen, with whom we share deep historical, cultural, and linguistic bonds. At independence, had we chosen to pursue states on the basis of ethnic, racial, or religious homogeneity, we would still be waging bloody wars these many decades later. Instead, we agreed that we would settle for the borders that we inherited. But we would still pursue continental political, economic, and legal integration. Rather than form nations that looked ever backwards into history with a dangerous nostalgia, we chose to look forward to a greatness none of our many nations and peoples had ever known. We chose to follow the rules of the Organization of African Unity and the United Nations Charter, not because our borders satisfied us, but because we wanted something greater forged in peace. We believe that all states formed from empires that have collapsed or retreated have many peoples in them yearning for integration with peoples in neighboring states. This is normal and understandable. After all, who does not want to be joined to their brethren and to make common purpose with them? However, Kenya rejects such a yearning from being pursued by force. We must complete our recovery from the embers of dead empires in a way that does not plunge us back into new forms of domination and oppression. We rejected irredentism and expansionism on any basis, including racial, ethnic, religious, or cultural factors. We, re we reject it again today. That was the ambassador of Kenya. Yeah, and it brings me to yet another cause of World War I, imperialism. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap up. It's wrapping. It's, it's wrapping. So thank you for tuning in once again, everybody, to another fun-filled episode of Ministry Modus. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at Ministry Modus, or check us out on YouTube for clips at Ministry Modus as well. You can also reach us at email at martinandcornbread at gmail.com. All one word, martinandcornbread at gmail.com. So with that said, Martin, you have a rhyme or a story to tell? 
I got a big story to tell. It's a story as ancient as a well. You understand where people used to get their water. And the story is this. One heart, two hearts, all hearts in the world were captured by a man, a man of time. And this man worked in Ghana and one day asked the guy who drove him around how he felt about his nation's past and how he'd been treated. And he had the foresight and wisdom to be the ambassador. And he ate so much food that when he gave a speech, he thought about it and said, look, in the four corners of the world, all men are brothers. Amen. That was beautiful. <laughs> I was actually going through the comments of that video and just, I was ad-libbing based on some of the comments of that, that video. <laughs> that was some good ad-libbing, I'll give you that. that you had me captivated even when you were talking about eating lots of food. <laughs> Hold it. I want to make sure I get that quote right from the Water Martians. Um, all men, no, Water Martians. Oh, in the four seas, in the four seas, all men are brothers is one translation from the Chinese. So, Powerful quote. All right, folks. As we say in France, adios. <laughs>